This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now about 18 months into their damaging, their bruising trade war, President Donald Trump and China's Vice Premier Liu He have signed what is commonly called a phase one agreement. Phase two is supposed to follow uh, somewhere down the road and we'll be talking about that soon. But let me first run through the bare bones of this phase one agreement. I'm going to read from some notes here. So the document's formal title is Economic and Trade Agreement between the United States and the People's Republic of China. It has eight chapters covering intellectual property, technology transfer, trade in food and agriculture products, financial services, macroeconomic policies and currency, expanding trade and importantly, dispute resolution. As part of the deal, China has also agreed to in increase its purchases of U.S. goods and services by at least $200 billion over the next two years, compared to 2017. And the U.S. will trim some tariffs, but maintain them on $360 billion worth of Chinese imports, which is the bulk of the bilateral trade. So, and there is a range of commitments by both sides that will only be as strong, uh, as we know, as the degree to which they are implemented and adhered to. So today, joining us to discuss this phase one agreement and its implications are Curtis Chin from Bangkok and Vikram Khanna from Singapore. Curtis is a former US ambassador to the Asian Development Bank and an Asia fellow at the Milken Institute. Vikram is an associate editor at The Straits Times. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. So Curtis, perhaps I should start with you. Does this show that tariffs work? I mean, there is a lot in this agreement. China has conceded a lot, although we know that the tougher issues are supposed to be in a phase two agreement and we don't know when that's going to be. But so far, do you think tariffs have worked? You know, absolutely, Nirmal. You know, for good and for bad, the signing of this trade deal, this phase one trade deals, shows that indeed President Trump's approach of uh, putting in tariffs has worked in many ways. You know, I'm no fan of tariffs. I, I've been a longtime advocate for free trade and fair trade. But uh, we're at this situation today because of uh, 20, really three decades, let's say, of engagement with China, which has led to a relationship that does need to be readjusted, to be rebalanced. Uh, and through President Trump's implementing of something that many people uh, were not quite fans of, myself included, uh, of tariffs, we have at least made this initial step forward. You know, I have to say, you know, uh, give President Trump uh, due credit for where we are. Uh, I think in reality, it's a pause. It's a it's an initial resetting of this relationship. It's a clear political win for President Trump. Um, but there's so much more that needs to be done. You know, it's not just implementation of this phase one deal, but addressing some of the much more difficult uh, um challenges that China has posed uh, to many U.S. administrations and many countries around the world, including here uh, in Southeast Asia. But to sum it up, indeed, tariffs have worked so far, but let's see where it leads to next. Vikram, what is, what, from your view out there, Singapore's view, uh, what are the regional implications of this? Over here in the U.S., markets were, the market was quite high, and it dipped a bit afterwards when people realized, when the market realized that there were some caveats and some unanswered questions still, and we have to watch the implementation and so forth. What was the reaction in, in uh, Southeast Asia, and what are the implications? How is this seen? Well, I think, uh, I think as Curtis put it, this is a step in the right direction. And uh, the Singaporean Business Federation uh, chief, Homenkit, has said pretty much uh, the same thing. Uh, but it's very far from a comprehensive deal, uh, as you mentioned. I think there's a long way to go. Um, I think the, the uh, fragmentation of supply chains out of China will continue. 
because I think the really big issues still have to be addressed. And I think there is an awareness that this, this is a truce, this is a pressing the pause button, but it's also a quite fragile truce for many, re for many reasons. Uh, uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, $200 billion worth of extra purchases uh, forthcoming from China compared to 2017. I think there's, wow. there are doubts about uh, whether China can make good on those purchases, given that its economy is slowing. There are also issues uh, about relating to the WTO. I mean, can this is basically what's going on is managed trade. I mean, you are setting quotas for purchases right. from the U.S. Uh, so you, you have to go and tell Brazil and Argentina, sorry, uh, we've been buying soybeans from you, but now we're not going to, we're going to stop and we're going to buy them from the U.S. Now that is oh. illegal under the WTO. And I think there are a lot of these kind of doubts, these kind of, what, what are these countries going to do? Are they going to just lie back and just say they accept it? No, they might challenge it on the WTO. And China is also reluctant to sort of do something that is, that violates WTO commitments. So I think there are a lot of uh, question marks around this deal. And then you mentioned implementation. Implementation, uh, you know, is subject to judgments. Uh, I mean, uh, China has promised to address certain issues. Address means what? Is, are, they uh -huh. gonna, are they gonna eliminate, uh, eliminate uh, restrictions on equity uh, uh, for the financial sector? Or are they just gonna, how are they gonna manage this? And the final call that's going to be made on whether China has complied or not is with the, is with the US, is with the, Mr. Lighthizer, the, the US trade representative. So you have a situation where the, the, uh, the party to the dispute, a party to the dispute is also the judge. So it, uh -huh. it's, a, it's a very strange agreement. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it is a step in the, in, the, in the right direction. But I think there are questions about its longevity. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the farms because one interesting thing, I, I spoke to uh, uh, the CEO of the Iowa Soybean Association the other day and I was looking at the other the other um, uh, responses from the farm sector and they are all sort of uh, holding their horses at the moment. No one's rushing to buy bigger tractors as President Trump had advised them to do because they are waiting to see what uh, comes out of China, especially given the fact apparently that all this is going to be decided at market prices. So the U.S. product still has to compete, as you said, with others like Argentina and Brazil in the case of soybeans. So, uh, Curtis, would you, would you like to come in on this uh, um, on, on the implications of this for the region and globally. Absolutely, I, you know, actually, but I also was struck by the, the comment that uh, perhaps China is reluctant uh, to do things that will be seen as a counter to its WTO, WTO World Trade Organization obligations. I think the reality that that's why we're here is that China has not uh, really done what it would, had already committed to with the World Trade Organization. When you think about things like technology, forced technology transfers, protection of intellectual property rights. You know, I've been in and out of China, what, since what, uh, when was my, I, yeah, I was based in Beijing from 95 uh, onwards and been out oh. of China. And you, the moment you show up uh, in Beijing, you see how China has, some would say, gamed the system uh, from when you can't access your Gmail, uh, you can't do so many uh, things, and we talk about an unfair and unlevel uh, playing uh -huh. field where we stand today. Um, also, you know, there's so much focus. This goes to your question, uh, uh, Nirmal, about the region. So many of these uh -huh. issues that 
at least begun to be addressed in this phase one trade agreement, things like forced uh, technology transfers, protection of intellectual property rights. Uh, these are issues that aren't issues that the U.S. alone has with China. You know, as you know, I'm based now in Singapore and travel throughout this region. When I meet with Southeast Asian uh, CEOs, in many ways, and this probably is a big surprise to uh, listeners and viewers back in America, but in many ways, I have people that say to me they're rooting on President Trump because some of these same things that President Trump is seeking to address, other countries, companies, other countries here in Asia also want to address, um, but they're much smaller uh, than the United States. And as we've seen on uh, very difficult, uh, very uh, terrible issues uh, with which China has been involved in from Xinjiang to elsewhere, China has been shown to be a vindictive nation. They will seek to punish companies and, and punish countries. And so smaller countries don't want to be in that, that position where China will punish them. They're saying to me, well, you President Trump and hopefully we will benefit. But again, kudos to both sides, uh, both the Chinese United States uh, for bringing <clears throat> at least uh, as they then really begin to work on right, Facebook. Right. Now, yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's quite remarkable that they actually got to this stage and signed something given the, the, the heated rhetoric that we've been seeing and, uh, and, this, and the uh, sort of um, impasse that they've been at for quite a long time now. So what about phase two? Um, you know, the, 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 the key difference between the U.S. and China is, of course, the two completely different systems. Now, phase two, getting successfully to phase two would require a deep change in China's stru a structural change, as we've talked about before. How difficult is that going to be? Vikram, could you comment on that? Yes, these are the really big issues that are still left outstanding. They are the issues of subsidies, for example, which and the, the whole SOE reform, the issues of cyber, cyber security, um, I think the subsidies issue is probably the biggest of all. I mean, this lies at this is at the heart of China's uh, economic system, and I think to, just to pick up on what Curtis said, this is an issue that bothers not just the United States, but also Europe, also Japan, also many countries in Asia, and I think this is why it is important that the, this huge issue be be dealt with as multilaterally as possible. Uh, through the WTO. I think Japan, the EU, and the US have already taken first steps to take this issue to the WTO. So I think it has to be dealt with at the WTO level. It cannot be dealt with only bilaterally. Uh, and I think uh, one interesting thing is that although the, uh, because of this tech war that's going on, because of the, uh -huh. the restrictions being slapped on Huawei and so on, China has become determined to become even more self-sufficient in as much as possible, as much technology as possible. So that's leading to an increase in subsidies. So um, ironically, I mean, uh, while there's pressure for it to sort of roll back subsidies, there's also pressure coming from somewhere else on, on it to increase subsidies. So this is a uh -huh. very tricky issue that has to be dealt with. And I think it has uh -huh. to be dealt with multilaterally. Uh, Interesting also that you, uh, I'm glad you brought up the tech because Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave a very strong speech in San Francisco just the other day talking about, well, essentially saying that no more, no more U.S. tech for China. They're scrutinizing Chinese investment, Chinese acquisitions and so forth. And the companies will be basically told not to, not to 
allow their tech to be taken by joint venture partners and investors from China. Um, so this, you know, besides, despite the despite the smiles and the sort of um, you know all the bonhomie of this big event in DC, the signing of the Phase One deal, and it was a big event. It, it's it's politically huge for President Donald Trump. Despite all this, the general relationship. Again, also with the caveat that they have uh, President Trump apparently has a nice relationship with President Xi Jinping. The relationship in general remains sour and is showing no real signs of a thaw. There's a lot of pushback from the states still against China, right? Curtis, uh, would you like to comment on that? Yes, you know, absolutely. You know, trade economics clearly very critical in a relationship between you know, these two great countries, these two largest economies in the world, China and the United States. But it isn't the only issue uh, that both countries need to address. As you think about the uh, diplomatic engagement uh, beyond the financial and economic, there's still uh, much more that needs to be done. You know, as you know, I'm always the optimist. You know, I'm hopeful. At least we're here at this stage. It's that pause. It's that initial step. You know, business and markets, whether it's you know Singapore or you know back in New York, New York Stock Exchange. You know, uh -huh. they will welcome some sense of stability. Uh, that the uh -huh. the process that you talked about. Um, yes, they're going to begin uh, to talk. Uh, the phase one agreement talks about putting in place a, a process by which the sides will engage. Uh, that's a step forward. But there will not be any phase two deal uh, before the uh, elections. And in a way, we talk about uh -huh. the political, political benefits uh, to President Trump. But there are also political benefits to Xi Jinping. You know, China is also having a very difficult time in its own growth trajectory. Still growing, slowly, oh. but a slowing economy. Uh, again, anecdotal reports from uh, media when allowed to report of unrest, uh, uncertainty uh, in China, particularly at some of these actually state-subsidized enterprises, which are not the drivers uh, of the uh, any economy, including China. Uh, you know, China has done so much to lift people out of poverty, you know, from my own work in the, the days at the Asian Oil Bank, you think of all that China has done. Um, but in many ways, it's because it's freed up the private sector. Uh, uh -huh. But unfortunately, for me as an outsider, they're doubling down on the exact opposite. They're doubling uh -huh. down uh, subsidized state-owned enterprises. They're, they're driving, uh -huh. uh, lending, not to the, the dynamic entrepreneurs that China has so many of. They're driving uh -huh. lending to businesses that really, if markets were allowed to take their course, would have to readjust and become more efficient. Uh, yes, they can subsidize in their competition with countries, other countries, companies around the world, uh, but there's no protecting them from that ultimate day when they too will fail uh, or they will too will no longer be able to compete. One thing I, I did want to flag, which I thought, you know, from a Chinese protocol perspective, I would always argue is very interesting, is that this deal, you think about what happened in Washington, uh, it's President Trump and a vice premier. Liu uh, The reality uh -huh. is in Xi Jinping uh, and President Trump. Um, and some say it's because, you know, uh, in a bit, this has been a face-saving deal for both sides. We've got to this uh -huh. stage. But very intriguing that it was not Xi Jinping. Uh, uh -huh. And we, and those of you who follow uh, Chinese history, um, will Liu He be thrown under the bus at some point if it doesn't work out as how China uh, hopes it will work, as both sides hope it will work out. Uh, because in some ways, maybe Xi Jinping is a little bit removed from this deal. Clearly, it wouldn't have happened without him. Uh, right. But to the degree that, that this was not his unique special envoy representing uh, Xi Jinping, to me, says something, too. Uh, uh -huh. That Xi Jinping 
a very difficult challenge, uh, both uh, internally uh, as well as, you know, clearly with the United States. But you think about what has happened uh, in this last, really, uh, six or seven months from protest in Hong Kong to a landslide re-election by the Taiwanese president. Uh, this is a statement about what is going on in Beijing and how Beijing uh-huh. has approached so how will this evolve and how will this change? And clearly, if you're a Chinese person, you know, maybe just like an American person who just wants a better life for their families, uh, uh-huh. for their communities, uh, that uh-huh. slow Chinese economy will be uh, something that they will ultimately have to hold uh, uh-huh. their leadership accountable. Unlike, you know, democracies in Singapore, the United States. Right. You know, like your government, right. you vote them out. Vikram, I'd like to bring you in for just like, give you the last word. Just 20 seconds. So do you feel more sanguine now about, uh, you know, phase one deal? Do you think economies, markets and economies in the region will see, you know, a little bit of a return? Well, I'm, uh, I would give it a slightly more cautious welcome. I mean, I think, uh, as I mentioned, I think it, it, it is quite fragile. Uh, I think it's not clear, um, at least from China's point of view, it's not clear what they need to really do to get under the sort of 360 billion or 250 billion, 25% tariffs that remain in place. Uh, there's no schedule for tariff rollback. There's no, uh, nothing to say that, okay, if you do this, we'll roll back by this much. If you do this, you roll back by this much. It's all up in the air. I think uh, this is a deal that both sides can walk away from quite easily. China can decide that the US is not responding by reducing tariffs fast enough, so we're going to stop buying American soybeans. America can say China is not living up to its commitments, so we're going to snap back on the tariffs. So I think, you know, this this deal is is subject to a lot of uncertainty. I mean, it's it's welcome. It's It's always good to have a deal a deal is better than no deal and this is not a comprehensive deal so I, I would give it only a very cautious welcome okay great Vikram thank you very much Curtis thank you very much that was great thanks a lot for your time and have a great day out there thanks very much bye bye so lots of big numbers in the phase one deal with China and President Trump also is going to get his US Mexico Canada agreement, the USMCA, passed by the Senate and signed into law. So he will have plenty to talk about at his rallies and it will go down very well with his support base as the campaign gears up. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh.